Welcome to CCC's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. It's Friday, June 9th, 2023. Today, as we do each week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news from the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Senior Writer, joins me today from New York City. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. The American Library Association holds its annual conference in Chicago later this month, Andrew. In Monday's issue of PW, you preview the program. Yeah, and it's been quite a year, right? In fact, quite a few years for the library community. And all of it, I have to say, is reflected in this year's ALA annual conference program, which features a really strong education program, over 200 sessions this year. There's also a really great speaker program that will begin with a talk from a living legend, the author Judy Bloom, who, as someone who has seen her books land on the ALA's most banned books list over the years, is sure to offer librarians some support and a shot of inspiration. Bloom, of course, has been outspoken against this politically motivated surge of book bans and libraries, and she acknowledges that the situation today is actually far more dangerous than the book banners who came after her books, because this time the book bans are often coming from government entities. You know, I, I won't run down the whole main speaker program here, but Bloom is going to open the show, and the closing keynote is going to feature somebody else who has been in the news, poet Amanda Gorman. Our listeners may recall that Gorman was in the news recently because her book, The Hill We Climb, was restricted in a Florida school after a single parent complained that the book somehow contained hate messages. Uh, anyway, you can check out our preview on the PW website, and you can look at the main speaker lineup and some panel picks about book bans. And if you were to infer from the first two speakers, Amanda Gorman and Judy Bloom, that I've mentioned that book bans are going to feature prominently at this year's conference, well, you'd be right, of course. You have said, Andrew, that the 2023 ALA conference is one to watch. So how is it shaped up and is anticipation high? Yeah, I think this show really is kind of setting up to be, you know, almost like a blockbuster, really. It, it, you know, it's certainly coming at a very important time for librarians and library supporters. Uh, I think it's important that librarians are able to get together and talk about some of the things they're going through. And I think that the program, in my opinion, what I've seen really sort of rises to the occasion. Um, as for why so many people, including me, have indeed called this conference one to watch, well, a number of reasons. First, obviously, is Right, the pandemic. We're a year further out from the COVID-19 pandemic that forced uh, ALA to go virtual in 2020 and 2021. Uh, the national emergency over COVID is over as of May 11th. COVID-19 is now endemic, and it's going to be likely part of our lives for a long time, if not forever. But in 2023, you really do get the sense that life is starting to kind of feel normal again. So I think people who are still a bit unsure about the safety factor will be more likely to attend this year's ALA. And it's not only the safety factor, of course, right? Money has been very tight. Travel budgets were tough and inflation has made everything more expensive. So I think this year is really going to tell us a lot about how that's all going, right? Uh, are people's budgets still tight? I know inflation is a killer, but if we see a bump in attendance against these headwinds, well, I think that would be a really good sign for the future of ALA's in-person shows. Also, last year, there was not a lot of vendor support. We got 13,000 people in person to come to Washington for the ALA conference last year. That, of course, was the first one in three years. But the vendor support was kind of lacking, right? The big publishers didn't have their big booths there. 
This year, we'll see whether the vendors and the major publishers do come back and come back bigger. And it certainly looks from the pre-registrations and the vendor lined up that they are coming back. So that's very encouraging. And also in terms of in-person events in general, right, with the loss of Book Expo, there really isn't a large-scale in-person trade show in the U.S. anymore for publishers to come and meet people, meet their customers, and break books and highlight authors on a big stage. You know, London and Frankfurt are there, of course, but they're not ever going to substitute for the loss of BEA here in the States. But ALA perhaps can. So that's going to be something to watch, too. The ALA Chicago Conference is as critical to the organization as it is to the profession, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, this I really do think is a huge moment for the American Library Association. You know, again, ALA reported a respectable 13,000 in-person attendees in D.C. last year for their annual conference. But those D.C. shows usually draw well over 20,000. In fact, one year drew over 30,000. Uh, this before the pandemic, of course. This show in Chicago is in the ALA's hometown. It's always a popular destination and always a well-attended show when the ALA is in Chicago. And not only is ALA coming out of the pandemic, it's also starting to turn a corner on an associational transformation, really, that began gee, a while ago, like in 2017. And of course, they have a new executive director. Well, not so new anymore, actually. Tracy Hall took over in 2020. And just weeks into Tracy Hall's tenure, it was revealed that the association was in a financial crisis. Well, ALA certainly seems to be on a more stable footing financially now, and it's sort of reorganization, it's refocus, uh, it's modernization efforts appear to be ready for primetime and are going to be on display. So this show really is going to be a marker of where ALA is, not only in terms of recovering from the pandemic, but also it's, it's modernization, it's plans for the future and what it can offer in terms of value to its members. And given all the challenges that libraries are facing, which we talk about all the time on the show, I think librarians, and I think publishers too, really need a strong ALA. I really do. I think a strong ALA can be enormously important in many ways and always wasn't enormously important, but I think especially now. And on that note, this year's ALA, I think, is a great advertisement for the importance of librarians and the power of libraries. The show actually kicks off this year on Thursday uh, with a rally for the right to read. That's on Thursday, June 21st. And that's going to be an amazing opportunity for libraries to really get some national headlines and really rally some support as opposed to the headlines we're sort of seeing every day now, which is these freedom to read attacks and attacks on librarians for, you know, for book bans, et cetera. So, you know, put simply, I think ALA this year comes at a moment when we really need to focus on all of the important things that libraries do. We really do need a week when we shift from libraries playing defense against book banners to playing offense and not only defending libraries, but making the case that libraries need to be bigger and better and better funded. Uh, the ALA, of course, has a huge megaphone to do that, and the library community needs to be heard. So I think that all adds up to really a critical opportunity for ALA this year, in my opinion. Publishing consultant Thad McElroy, an occasional guest on this show, has written this week for PW about the potential role for ChatGPT and other AI tools in trade book publishing. Yeah, a really great piece in PW by, of course, a respected voice in the publishing community, Thad McElroy. And you know, it's really about you know why AI is going to be a game changer. Now, 
not an incremental game change, but like a scary fast change. And that's not news, right? We've been talking about that and publishers have been concerned about that for quite a bit now. And that is going to continue to be the discussion, I think, for many months now. But what I think Tad really does with this discussion, with this article, sort of reframe the way publishing needs to approach AI in a way that tries to pierce some of the fear and really get to some of the possibilities. You know, there was a hearing before Congress this week about AI, too, and one legislator asked the question about whether this new technology was new tech like the Internet or new tech like the atom bomb. Not quite on point because not everyone has access to atom bombs and bombs are destructive. But but the point is well taken, right? There's this real concern about bad actors and bad effects and what this sweeping technology might do in the wrong hands. And Ted really talks about what this technology might do in the right hands. And while that certainly may involve some pain and some change, all technology and technological change does, ultimately he believes it's going to be beneficial for books in reading. And I'll quote him here. Let me pull this up. All of this talk about the problems and perils of AI is just a distraction, he writes. It's a distraction from understanding the opportunity that AI brings to book publishing. If you try to evaluate the opportunity through the lens of the coming AI apocalypse, you'll have a hard time seeing the green light ahead. Uh, Now, what publishing is going to look like after AI and generative AI has been fully disseminated into the current workflows of publishing? We don't really know. You know, what will reading look like? No one really knows. You know, what happens when AI can write books too? Again, all interesting questions. But Tad says he's actually not afraid of that stuff and is, in fact, kind of excited. Now, maybe we should be afraid. I don't know. But I have to say I'm with Tad that we should at least at this point start out and at least further this discussion by thinking a lot about the opportunities for AI and not just the AI apocalypse. The Authors Guild has released four new model closets to its model trade book contract, all that address AI-related concerns. It's also released the results of a survey of members. Yeah, also really interesting stuff here. The Authors Guild is laying down its marker here with these new recommended author clauses. You know, One, for example, would require an author's written consent for their publisher to use AI-generated book translations or audiobook narration or cover art. Uh, because these clauses, the Guild maintains, can you know benefit publishers in the publishing industry at large by maintaining the high-quality craftsmanship that consumers are used to. The Guild also wants publishers to commit to identifying and labeling any books that contain significant amounts of AI-generated text. And the purpose of these demands, uh, AG officials say, is to prevent the use of AI to replace human creators. That's according to a Guild statement, noting that publishers may feel compelled to turn to AI because of competitive pressures to save costs. You know, AI is, of course, probably going to be cheaper than human labor, the Guild acknowledges, but replacing human authors, artists, and narrators with generative AI is a bad idea. I think we can all relate to that feeling, and we certainly support the idea that robots should not be taking our jobs and taking over the job of creation, especially in terms of the arts. And you know, also notable is that the, this survey that the AG did, 1,700 members took part in it, and it's about, you know, it sort of highlights the inherent tension here. Uh, and I found the results to be fascinating. 23% of the 1,700 Authors Guild members reported using generative AI as part of their writing process already, including for brainstorming ideas. But 69% think their careers are threatened 
by generative AI, and 65% of writers said they would support a collective licensing system that would actually pay authors a fee for use of their works and training AI. And, you know, that's an interesting idea, but I'm afraid it's just probably not going to happen. Uh, anyway, you can check out that report on the PW website as well. Uh, I found the AG's uh, response to be an interesting counter to Tad's sort of calm down piece. And, you know, I don't know where I'm going to land on all this stuff, except to say that whatever you think of AI in this moment, just wait, <laughs> because it is really evolving fast. And it's going to be interesting to see what we're talking about in terms of AI in the coming months, maybe a year from now on this podcast, if, of course, you haven't already replaced me with a bot by then. We can't replace you with just a bot. It would take at least two. Andrew Albanese, Publishers <laughs> Weekly Senior Writer. Thanks for joining me on the program with your reporting and editorial analysis. My pleasure, as always. Coming up on CCC's podcast, while he recognizes the potential fraud and confusion that chatbots can introduce into publishing, Ivy Stamen says that publishers still ought to encourage researchers and other authors to use the tools available that can make their work accessible and impactful. The founder and CEO of Academic Language Experts wonders if we should even care that scientific authors especially write every word of a journal article in the first place. I think the reason this is a really fascinating question is because it was always a theoretical one, right? Because who else is going to write for you if not yourself? Obviously, over time, people have used the help of scientific writers, and that's nothing new. But the the concept that something non-human could actually write a text for you is something that I don't think before November 2022, most folks would think it's even a possibility. And now that it is, we are really asking ourselves questions about the basic role of a researcher. And I want to imagine a researcher who's working on the COVID vaccine in the months leading up before the pandemic. And I want to ask ourselves, to what degree do we think that that individual writing every single uh, word is really critical uh, in light of other activities or important, whether managerial or scientific activities that they could be doing at that same moment. Making AI your writing tutor, next on Velocity of Content. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to the program wherever you go for podcasts, and please do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. You can also find Velocity of Content on YouTube as part of the CCC channel. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening.